uh, you see qualities in your kids that you're, you're grateful have been passed on, and then there's qualities and you see in your kids that you're like, I, I, I wish that wasn't tra- you know, transmitted to them. Like my son comes to me last night. One of the, my favorite jokes in my household is 10 o'clock on Saturday night, I tell people, guys, I need to go figure out what I'm speaking on in the morning, all right? So give me, give me a little bit of time. So my son comes in at 10 o'clock last night and goes, Dad, I got a great idea for your message tomorrow morning. I go, what is it? He goes, how about Jesus and the resurrection? I go, you know what? You nailed it. You nailed it. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? You know, it's kind of obvious that uh, we should talk about this, but maybe today is not going to be so obvious. Um, Steve Kerr, coach of the, uh, the Warriors, go Suns! Go Suns! But Steve Kerr, a few years ago, one of my favorite scenes from the playoffs, I mean, let's admit Steph Curry, amazing, right? But we're going to take him down, so we, we don't, we're not going to worry about that. He brings the guys into a huddle. The beginning of the game, he brings his team together and says, Okay, so this is going to be the first play of the game. Someone is going to pass the ball to somebody, and then that somebody is going to take it down the court, and then that person is going to shoot the ball and make a basket. All right? Sound good? Doesn't sound like an inspiring play, does it? It's usually not why we have huddle times. You know, the huddle times are not for things that are vague, and and I get what Steve was trying to do. He was trying to... Get them to smile, get them to laugh, get them to kind of not think about the game, right? But you know what? Huddle times are not meant to be vague, are they? Music stands are not meant to just (laughs) descend on their own. This is huddle time for us. This is huddle time for us. This this is a time where we we have taken on a Sunday... And we're saying we're going to come together for a little bit of time, but we're not going to stay here forever because we got to go back out and live our lives. And, and this is a huddle time where I'm not here to be vague. See, a coach during huddle time addresses specific issues, raises specific concerns, and somehow motivates the team to get back out there and win the game. So the vague part of today is this, love God, love others. But we need more than that. <laughs> this, uh, I need to speak to myself and to you and to say, there's a specific game plan. And, and I don't want anyone in this room to miss that game plan. So call me Coach Scott. Okay, we're, in, we're at huddle time. It's halftime. Some of you look tired. Some of you look miserable. Some of you look frustrated, right? You, you think you're losing the game. You, you, you think you're down, and, but you're not out. You, you may be crushed, but you're not destroyed, right? So Coach Scott is here to say, all right, let me address what's important so that you can leave huddle time and get out, back, out there and win the game. Amen? Because I want every single one of you to win the game. And more than me wanting you to win the game, God wants you to win the game. And this is no time to be vague. Love God, love others. That sounds great, but how do we apply that to our lives? Well, the resurrection addresses that. And it just so happens that we're, as a church community, going through the book of Acts, and we're going to pick up right where we left off, because Easter has to do, not just with Sunday, on April 17, 2022, Easter has to do with every single day of our lives. And if you turn to Acts chapter 4, turn there in your Bibles if you would. If you don't have a Bible, we have complimentary ones. Zach, uh, if you could grab a Bible, if someone wants a Bible, take it, enjoy it, write in it. Um... If you don't have 
uh, a Bible and you just want to download one real quick, 30 seconds. We got pretty good Wi-Fi here at Sozo. So ESV, free Bible, download it. Acts 4 is where we're going to be. And what we see in Acts is exactly what I'm talking about. What is required to win the game? What's required to get it back out there and uh, slam dunk for Jesus? Uh, what is required of, of us? Me as a person, us as a community. Because one thing I know is that life is not an isolated event. Life is not meant to be lived in loneliness. Life is to be lived together. And so love God, love others. What does that specifically look like? Well, we turn to Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 32, if you would, with me. So uh, it's just been weeks, right, since Jesus was crucified, buried, risen again. And the impact that that event has made on the lives of men and women is incredible. It is awesome. Tens of thousands of people have been transformed by the resurrection of Christ. And God, to this day, 2,000 years later, is still transforming lives by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God because of what Christ has done. And if you, if you think that the resurrection has no importance, uh, I, I want to just quote C.S. Lewis, and if you're new to, to Missio Dei, um, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me quote, I love C.S. Lewis, not as much as my wife, but a close second, all right, just so you guys know. C.S. Lewis is this, says this, Christianity if false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So this morning, I'm going to declare to all of us why it's of infinite importance. Acts chapter 4, look at verse 32. So the congregation of those who believed, circle the word believe, important, were of one heart and soul, that's called unity. And how many of us want unity? Whew, we are desperate for unity. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to themselves, and anything that they had does, did not belong to themselves. It was not their own. But all things were common property to them. Now imagine a community like that. That sounds like the perfect utopia, doesn't it? And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This was the message. This was the glue that held this vibrant community together. And here they are gathered and abundant grace was upon them all. I'm going to make an argument that there's no unity, there's no power, there's no grace apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those of us who think we could try to find power, unity, and grace apart from Christ, it's, it's, a, it's a dead-end street. For there, were not, there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute to each as any had need. That is, that's incredible. And then there's a guy named Barnabas. He was known as the son of encouragement. He owned a tract of land and sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. Two things I want us to, to just focus on while we're here. Number one, God creates a new people. 
or new, new position, sorry. The resurrection establishes a new position in Christ. Why is this important? Because God's concerned about your heart. He's concerned about your, your life. See, as an individual, Christ came and died for me. Christ came and died for you. God so loved us that he did not want to spend eternity apart from you, but he wanted to spend eternity with you. So he sent the greatest gift, that is Jesus. There's the hope. He is risen. Yes. See, not only did he say what he was going to accomplish, but he actually accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish. And that means two things for us. Number one, he brings a change in our hearts. This is called the gospel. This is called the good news. Why is the resurrection of infinite importance? Because there's a change that takes place in our hearts. Your belief will influence your behavior. See, too many times we focus on the behavior piece and we don't focus on the belief piece. God is mostly concerned about your heart because once he gets a hold of your heart, he gets a hold of your life. It's not that God isn't concerned about your, your behaviors or your marriages or your children or your work. He's concerned about those things, but not at the expense of changing your heart. So I'm good friends with a professor of Buddhism and Japanese history from ASU. So I, I run with some pretty swanky circles, right? He's a customer here. And just the other day, he pulls me aside. So he's a Buddhist, and he knows I'm a Christian. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it, right? Like, so Buddhist and a Christian walk in. No, okay, that's another time. Uh, take me to a bar, and I'll tell you the rest of the joke. But th we're having a conversation on Friday, literally just two days ago. He says, can I, can I ask you something? So he's from Japan. He teaches at ASU. He says, Scott, and he does this. I love this. So I, I feel like, okay, yes, uh, <laughs> He says, I hired a painter to paint my house. He says he's a Christian, and yet his work is really bad. <laughs> I go, well, that's not unheard of, right? Uh, I know a lot of Christians who do shoddy work. I was going to say something else. Speaking of shoddy work, look at this thing, right? Oh, there's my stagehand, also known as my wife. So... We're just going to leave it. He says, help me make sense of this. Here's a Christian who's painting my house, and he's doing a horrible job. Then he begins to tell me, like, isn't a good work ethic something that Americans embrace because they're Christians? And I said, I don't want to burst your bubble, but not everyone who calls himself a believer may be a believer. Because he proceeded to tell me, because isn't it a strong work ethic that gets you to heaven? And I said, well, if that's the case, your painter is, uh, he's, not on, he's not on the right path, right? Like, and I said, here's the good news. And literally right over here where the Pittmans are sitting, I said, it's not good work. It's not a good, strong work ethic that gets us to heaven. It's Jesus that gets us to heaven. And a lot of people will profess something about Christ, about God, about the Bible, about, but they don't necessarily possess what they're claiming to believe. And you can just tell, like he was, this, not, this didn't become a conversation about the paint job on his new house. 
this became a conversation about how we are accepted by God. Ladies and gentlemen, going to church doesn't get us in. Painting houses well don't get us in. Being a good mommy, daddy, husband, wife, whatever, doesn't get us in. What gets us in is a change in our hearts that can only be brought about by God. And he takes our hearts of stone and he turns them into hearts of flesh so that we want him more than we want anything else. And this is what Christ has come to do. It's not those who are well that need a physician. It's those who are sick. It's not those who are alive that need to be resurrected. It's those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so God sends his son to change our hearts, which then secondly, what happens, there becomes a change in our character. And our character will not change apart from a change of our hearts. But the goal then, once God changes your hearts, is that your character is going to become more like Christ. So there's a painter who does a shoddy job on my Buddhist professor's house needs to understand you need to now paint as if Jesus was painting that house. And now you as a husband who are trying to love your wife, you love your wife as Christ has loved you. And moms and dads are trying to raise kids and you love those kids like Jesus would love those kids. And if you're a coffee shop owner, like I know a couple, you, you make coffee for the glory of God because of what, as if Jesus was preparing the coffee. Whatever now we are called to do, here's God's goal for you. Do it like Jesus would do it because you have a heart of Christ. This is the message of Easter. Because if you try to be a moral person, if you try to change your character apart from God, it, is, it actually makes it worse. All your good works and all your church attendance and all your praying, all those things that are, that are good, if it's not motivated from the right heart, can actually be more damning. And I don't want that for any single person in this room. This is an invitation to condemnation-free living. This is an invitation to say, while we are notoriously good at condemning one another, there's a God in Christ who says, I don't condemn you. Go and live the life I've designed you to live. Amen? Now, don't you wish we could have huddle time every single day? Because I think we're all feeling what I'm describing. Here's the problem, though. We're all spiritual creatures. But for some reason, we've neglected probably the biggest part of what God wants to do in this new position, and it's the second point. We're going to focus on this. God creates a new people, a resurrection experienced with church. Now, I know, I know some of you, you hear the word church, and you immediately go, I can't stand the church. Can I just tell you, I've been through those seasons myself. How come it's, it's, it's Christians that are the worst in treating one another? Why is it that there's that moniker that says Christians are the only people who shoot their wounded? I have felt that pain. I have felt that sting. But for some reason, God has continued to press upon me. Even though we may mistreat one another, we connect horribly towards one another, we need each other. We need each other. And this church, a church, is the main instrument God will use to remind us of our new position in Christ 
so that we become all that we need to become to be conformed to his image. We need each other. So you know what this is in? An invitation, not just a condemnation-free living. This is now an invitation to a community that is going to love one another well. Here's my goal, that today you would understand the importance of our lives together. We're a team. This is a huddle time. There's no, there's no Lone Ranger living. There's no isolated living. We need each other. Look at the early church. Acts chapter 4. These people believed in the resurrection. And because their belief in the resurrection and what Jesus accomplished translated into sharing, unity, grace, power, generosity, sacrifice. I mean, you and I, we read this passage and we sit there and go, who wouldn't want this? And our world, can I just tell you right now, we are desperate for this kind of community. Having come out of some really bad church experiences in my own personal journey, I'm going to tell you right now, yeah, it sucks, but we can't do this without one another. I remember sending out a little mailer early on, and it said this, given up on church but not on God, we're here for you. I wonder if that's where someone's at this morning. See, I don't want to give you church talk. I want to give you God talk. I want to encourage you that no matter where you go, relationships are going to be fallible and they're going to be, they're going to be hurtful. But we need each other. And if you're part of a church community that points, points you to Jesus and opens the scriptures and, and loves you like crazy, I'm going to encourage you to stay with that church. I, I've said this before. I'm, I'm going to say things that are going to offend you. I'm going to just put that out there. You're going to leave sometimes and you'll be like, I can't believe Pastor Scott said this. I'm, I'm fallible, and I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be the only time I'm going to say something. And you're going to say something to me, but you know what? Doggone it, we're adults. We can get past this. My, my wife says bad things to me every day. I still love her. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> look at, look at the, so this new people. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 9, you got that verse? I'm going to just show you something. So Here's what Paul says in, to the Corinthian church. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. God has made us wealthy beyond our wildest ima imaginations, but we have this wrong understanding of what wealth looks like. And the key to wealth in our relationships with one another is a love language that some of us have, have never understood or have largely ignored. You guys familiar with love languages? I'm not a big fan. What are some of the love languages? Affirm, words of affirmation. Gift giving. I like gift giving. That's a good one. Physical touch. I really like that one. Uh, quality time. Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Get rid of all the love languages because there's only one love language that matters. Write it down. Self-denial. It's the only love language that God shows us. And it's the only love language we're now called to show one another. Now I'm going to tell you right now, that doesn't sell millions of copies of books. But it makes a difference in time and eternity. Because what you realize is that once you're saved by the grace of God... 
you are no longer yourself. And you exist for other people. And this is why there is no room for loneliness and there's no room for isolation. And the past couple years that we've all survived has shown us how desperate we are for one another. And here's what the resurrection means. Not only is there this Lord and Savior named Jesus who did what he said he was going to do, but he's now created a new community, a new humanity, a new people. And it's called the church. And we need one another. And it means two things now in our lives. Number one, it's a change in our relationships. See, you may be that person that, and again, it's a Western way of thinking that, that prizes autonomy and values privacy, but I'm going to tell you right now, we have missed out on the fact that our faith is personal, but it's not private. And the fact that if, if we're not pressing more deeply into one another's lives, then our Christianity is not just efficient, it's defective. That we all have crap. We can come Easter Sunday and be like, look at it. It's so good to be together. He's risen. Yeah, he's risen. And then we leave here and we enter back into our nightmare world that we hide and we're shameful of and we're guilt-ridden over, but we don't have anyone to share this with. This is where we come in. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is not a country club. It is a hospital. This is triage. This is ER. This is ICU. This is, you know, we're all at different stages of just hurt and pain and bleeding. And the question is, where do we go? Last Sunday, I missed you guys. And I praise God for friend, Pastor Matt, who is here, sharing with you guys, talking about the surprising nature of the kingdom of God. But I missed you because I was flying to Sacramento that morning to go to my Uncle Jim's memorial service. Uncle Jim was my, wife, my mom's brother, my mom died at age 39, if you don't know, glioblastoma, two months. So I walk into a room, about 60 people, and I know my, this side of the family, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of bitterness, there's a lot of hostility, especially towards God. Matter of fact, I roll up and I see a cousin who I hadn't seen in 25 years, and the first words out of his mouth is, mother effing, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> Here's a man who's married to a woman who has had a couple kidney transplants and has not gotten a fair shake in her health in 20 years. He's mad at God. He told me this. But I walk into this room at this country club, this, this ballroom, and my other cousin basically says, we don't know what to do. We're not religious. You are. You're in charge. And what's crazy is that's exactly what I prayed walking into this situation. Give me a platform to share with this room of people who don't know you. So this is Sunday morning, Folsom, California. I'm in this room, and I get up there, and I introduce myself as Uncle Jim's nephew. Uncle Jim's sister was my mom, who died at age 39. And I can understand if there's anger. I can understand if there's resentment. I can understand if there's hostility. That's real. 
But I said, isn't it interesting that we're here on a Sunday morning? I said, oh, I didn't tell you I'm also a pastor. So I, I disclosed that information. And I said, while you all thought you could avoid church today, church has been brought to you. Amen. And everyone's like, woohoo. And I knew at that point, we're, we're in. And I told that room full of people in no less than three minutes, the shortest sermon Pastor Scott has ever preached, <laughs> that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And my mom, even at age 39, was only two years old in Christ, but she loved Jesus, and now she's spending eternity with him. And that's the hope for all of us. And I said, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. I want you to be that person that, that knows what's inevitable. We're all going to die. Franklin was right. Death and taxes is the only two certainties in life. Sorry to remind you, it is April. It's tax time. So if you haven't gotten taxes, it's not right. But get yourself right with Christ. The conversations I had after this would blow your mind. People coming up to me crying, saying, that was the greatest sermon we ever heard. I was like two or three minutes. But there's one guy named Douglas. So my uncle was a classic car collector. He was a photographer for Hot Rod magazine in the 60s and 70s. This guy, if I showed you pictures of this guy, my uncle's, it would blow your mind. So guys drove their classic antique cars out and lined them up. It was like a classic car show in honor of my uncle. I'm out there looking at these cars just like. <laughs> 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 this one guy, I walked up to his car. And he had spent 10 years restoring this car. And he was telling me the hours and the years and the amount of money. And then all of a sudden he started crying. He goes, Pastor, I need to tell you something I've never told anyone in my life. And at those moments you're like, uh-oh, what's coming? Out? What's coming? <laughs> he, was a, he was in the Vietnam War, drafted right out of high school. Saw things no human being should ever see. Participated in things no person should ever participate in. And he had never shared what was so heavy on his life for 50 freaking years. And here was this man crying on my shoulders. Shoulder. Maybe he did both. I don't know. At that moment... It did not matter how many years he spent restoring this car. In that moment, it didn't spend, matter how much money he spent on restoring that car. At this moment, he had something so heavy on his heart, he needed another person to share with. And when I left that place, you know what Douglas said to me? He is risen. I said, amen, brother. He's risen indeed. And there was this glimmer of hope. Like, he just needed that one safe person to share that. Something. You all have stuff. And, and we call it stuff. Why? Because we keep stuffing. And we don't have anyone to talk to. And we need each other. But the problem is we're really bad at condemning, and we're really bad at crucifying one another. We're really bad at showing ungrace towards each other. There's this tweet I saw this week. I wanted to show it to you guys. I love it. I don't even know. It was just on someone's. 
The final miracle Jesus performed was healing the ear of a man wounded by a sword-wielding disciple trying to defend Jesus. Jesus still heals people wounded by deluded disciples who think that Jesus needs defending and people need to be attacked. Love one another. Number one, you can't do this loving one another without Jesus' heart in your life. And you can't love one another without being a part of a church. So what does it mean? There's a change in our relationships now. That we are to be so busy loving each other. We're to be so busy providing for one another's needs. We're to be so fixated on what God has done for us that though Jesus was rich, he laid aside his riches to become poor, to enter our poverty, to make us rich. And you know what happens when you're busy with that kind of life? You have no time to surf the internet. You have no time to post tweets. You have no time to react to someone's Facebook page. You have no time to boycott masks, no vaccines, no vaccines. You know what you don't have time for? Any of that trivial crap. When you are a church that's focused on the resurrection, you are continually busy loving people. How many of us look back on our lives and we look at all the hours wasted doing things that don't matter in time and eternity, what will last forever, the souls of men and women and the word of God. Why aren't we investing more in that? Because there's three things, and we're going to hit them real quick. When there's a change in our relationships, you would get to experience great power, you get to experience great grace, and you get to experience great unity. Here's what I'm tired of. And this is why we're at a coffee. Who's, whose first time is it at, the, at Sozo, the coffee house church cult? That's what we call it, the tech coffee house. Here we are. Here's the thing. You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of the, the, the church today measuring its greatness by the buildings it creates. God doesn't care about great buildings. You know what God cares about? Great people. And great people love greatly because they've been loved greatly. And when you've been loved greatly, you know what you do? You pursue unity, you pursue grace, you pursue power. And none of those things are of our own. And they're never meant to be used selfishly. They're meant to be used for others. Here's what we see in the early church. We see three things, great unity. This church, can I tell you the size of this church? 30,000 people. How do you maintain unity when you have 30,000 young, spiritually alive people? You have one unifying message, and it's called the gospel. We live in a culture that wants to categorize you according to your affinities. What's not important are your affinities. What's most important is your identity. I don't care if you're basket weavers for Jesus. I don't care if you're part of the Hot Rodders Club of Northern California. All those affinities are great but, the great, but the greatest unifier in the history of the world is what God is doing in the hearts of his people, and it's called the church. And if you're not part of a church, you don't understand identity. And you'll not, you don't understand unity. And you don't understand power. You know, God's power lies with one group in this planet. It's called the church. No other group has the power of God behind it. This is what Jesus prayed for. John 17. Make my people one and help them to love like they've been loved. And this is the power of God behind what he feels is most important. And yet it's the very thing we neglect 
because we're too busy for church. Can I just tell you, I can't remember a Sunday morning where I woke up and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to skip church today. But you're like, but you're the pastor. You, you can't miss. Actually, I could. People be like, where's Pastor Scott? Oh, he slept in. I wish. But here's the thing. I've committed my life not just to wake up on a Sunday morning to be with you, but I've committed my Mondays and my Tuesdays and my Wednesdays and my Thursdays to meet with you and to love you and to shepherd you. Why? Because there's no greater investment of my time to see you grow in Christ and to have you tackle the issues that all of us are tackling with biblical wisdom and discernment. You, we need to be up close and, and personal with one another. We can't love each other from a distance. There's no online church. There's no online discipleship. You know the problem with online? We've been online so much. Online gives us all the tools at our fingertips, all the resources at our fingertips, and, but yet it's minus one thing, discernment. But pastor, I watch this YouTube video. Anytime someone starts a conversation with that, I sit there and go, oh, great. What, what's going to happen? YouTube University. <laughs> it lacks discernment because we need people to say, is this true? Is this right? Is this beneficial? And you know what? This is why we come together to go to God's word and say, He is wise. He is our sovereign God, the creator, author of our lives. Don't you think if He gave us the handbook for living, we should probably consult this a little bit more? Let's see, YouTube University or the Bible? Hmm, I don't know. I do know that the message of the gospel is the greatest unifier in the history of the world. And when you're focused on that, it brings great power into our lives to become the people we can never become with our own power. But there's a work, and it's called grace. Third thing in your notes. Oh, boy, we need grace. You know what grace is? Being given that which you don't deserve. Jesus comes into this world gives himself for us because like you said, it's not this, the, the, the ones that are well that need a physician, it's those who are sick. And you know what grace says? The church is not for the well and put together, but it's for those who are dysfunctional. Got any dysfunctional people out here? Anyone yell at their wife this week? Husband, kick the kids, I mean kick the dog. I mean, some, sometimes I get a little bit backwards sometimes, you know. Can I just tell you right now, the church doesn't exist to keep the weak out. The church exists to draw more sinners in. And by keeping them in and by keeping them growing, it keeps them encouraged. And this is what we do. Don't come here if you're looking for a perfect church. Don't come here if you're looking for people to have it all together. I'm going to be the chief model of I am the worst of sinners. But yet I understand God's love and I'm going to pursue Jesus with the, the, his power working with me, in me. If you want to join us, join us. Because all I know is that there is no substitute for what is going on here. Even right now, because I can tell in your faces there's something that's resonating with your heart. Grace, we need it so desperately. And, and, and by grace, experience in church, it's not about Sunday gatherings. You know what it's about? It's about living together, suffering together, rejoicing together, dying together. It's saying, 
I see the love language of self-denial in you. Or I don't see the love language of self-denial in you. Because here's what we need. We need not only one another to encourage each other, but we also need one another to exhort one another. To call each other out with grace. And then there's this change in priorities. Write the word generosity. Can I just tell you right now, probably one of the greatest aspects of community that we can circle around is generosity. If you're, if you're part of the Missio Collective community, you've heard me say, enough for us, more for others. And I, and I earnestly believe that. See, what, what the early church experienced in sharing all things, it's not communism. Communism says, what, what's yours is mine. Christianity says, what's mine is yours. Imagine being part of a community that took care of one another and there was no need. So much so, if I recognize need in someone's life and it compelled me to sell my house and give the profits to this need, I would do that. Some of us are going, holy crap. That's community. But did not God, who was rich, lay aside his wealth and become poor? And enter our poverty so that in him we might be made rich. See, when you keep that in mind, when Jesus becomes your everything, you realize you don't need anything. Let me say that again. Because some of you are like, Pastor, that's tweet worthy. (laughs) When Christ becomes your everything, you come to realize you don't need anything. Ladies and gentlemen, we will continue this message, but I only want to give you a little appetizer today. What does this look like in practice? Well, be a part of the Missio community and find out. What does it mean? See, I have the privilege as pastor to share stories with you of how we reach one another and how we love one another and how we provide for one another's needs. See, for every one story I share with you, there's four others that I don't share. People who come to me and say, I want to help this person with their mortgage. Here's a check. Send it to them anonymously. This person's struggling with their electric bill. I want to pay it for them. People need groceries. I've got a, 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 a file, not a file, that's so old school, right? It's, a, it's like an envelope filled with a grocery store gift cards. I'm passing those things out like crazy. And people know that I'm in a position to help others, and they buy more gift cards, so I just have this unlimited supply of gift cards. Because I may come across a need and someone says, I don't have groceries this week. I go, boom, fill your pantry. But this is what the church does. Why? Because God is not into great buildings. He's into building great people. And he wants to move us beyond our possessions because you are defined by what possesses you. And if you're living for your car and you're living for your house, you're living for your job, those things will leave you bankrupt. But if Christ possesses you, it doesn't matter what you possess, you consider others. You are selfless. Now, it's not saying owning things is bad. But it's saying when you're given an opportunity to minister to someone's need, do it. Because with Christ, you have everything.
You look at Acts 4 and go, I want to be a part of this community. See, they don't operate by a principle of equality. They operate by a principle of need. And we can only know need when we disclose what's going on in our lives. You don't have it together. Neither do I. We all have issues, even in my own house. But you're the pastor. Yeah, perhaps are magnified 10 times. We all struggle. Here's my invitation. Let's struggle together. Because there's this unifying hope we have in a Christ that says, I will be your everything. I will give you grace. I will give you power to withstand whatever life brings your way. Who have you invited into your life to journey with? Are you like my friend Douglas in Northern California who has shared something with me a week ago that he has never disclosed to somebody in 50 years? The resurrection tells us you can disclose your garbage because there's a father who's got you in his hands. Write the word security because this is what we all fear. We all fear the moment I share my weakness, my struggles, my difficulties, my trials, that you're going to give up on me. And the Father promises us this in Luke 12, don't you know, little flock, that I'm going to give you the kingdom. When you're loved by a God who knows everything about you and you're accepted by him and he promises to never leave you or forsake you, that's called security. And therefore, I can be as generous with my, my possessions. I can be as honest with my heart. And it doesn't matter how people may reciprocate that or not. It's the fact that I am loved by God. And that is my security. Who do you have in your lives that you're invited into? What's going on deeply, secretly, in those hidden places? God already knows. Now he's saying, bring others along who love Christ, who are going to encourage you, who are going to be that hope for you. Plato, not the toy, but the philosopher, what I just described, Plato, this Greek philosopher, he envisioned as the most important element of a utopian society. What I've just described to you, Plato tried to accomplish it without Christ, which you really can't do. And yet we see it. It was celebrated a month ago when the player by the name of Bayambo for the Phoenix Suns said, I'm going to take my salary this year and build a hospital in my native African homeland. It's interesting how the news just kind of said, oh, boop, and then it passed it up. Because the news relishes the gritty and the dark and the miserable. There's a Phoenix Suns player who says, I will gladly give up my salary next year to build a hospital to give hope to the hopeless. I don't know where Biombo was at when it comes to spirituality, but all I know is the church should be doing this every single week. And I think it's less giving up your stuff and more just surrendering your heart. Yes, God wants your heart, but we also need to surrender to one another. Because the person sitting next to you, don't look at them. 
may be the very instrument God has sent to help you keep perspective of what's important in life. You can't exist in isolation. We need one another. The resurrection gives us this hope. Let me close with this. This week celebrates the 100th anniversary of the Velveteine Rabbit. Some of you are like, oh, I love that story. Me too. So if you don't know about the Velveteen Rabbit, well, the Velveteen Rabbit was this stuffed animal that felt inadequate and insignificant, especially when it came to the fancier mechanical toys. Because the writer of Velveteen Rabbit says they're full of modern ideas and pretended they were real. So the rabbit in the scene probably one of the most profound scenes in the book, says this to one of the characters, the skin horse, the oldest and wisest of the toys. What is real? And the skin horse says, real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time. Not just to play with, but really loves you. Then you become real. And then the rabbit says, does it hurt? And the, rat, and the horse says, sometimes, for he was always truthful. But by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. It's, it's always this like, Spoke to my heart. Because guess what? We all desire to get real. But we're afraid of the hurt. Can I just tell you? It's going to hurt. Because sometimes someone has to be truthful. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. The hurt is nothing compa compared to the pleasure of being loved for who you are. Stop exegeting who your neighbor is. Stop finding excuses not to love and not to, to give. Just stop. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, really, we're going to have this conversation? I think Jesus says, this is not according to the Greek, but he says, every freaking person you come in contact with, <laughs> that's your neighbor. Stop looking at skin color. Stop looking at sexuality. Stop looking at political uh, 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 association. Stop looking at what... We are all created in the image of God and created to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And whatever that moves you to do so that person comes to know Christ even more and becomes real in Christ, you do that. And stop finding excuses. The faith I, I have embraced is not a convenient faith. It's not a comfortable faith. It's not an easy faith. But I tell you what, it's an exciting faith. And if God has loved me with such great grace, we can surely love one another with great grace. Like I said, to be continued. But it's so good to be with you today. The resurrection not only promises us a new position in Christ, 
it promises us to be a part of a new people in Christ. Without those two things, you will not get through this world unscathed. And all God's people said, He is risen. Woohoo! Let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the beauty of Christ. Thank you for the power of community. Thank you that your word has been lifted up. And my prayer is that it would not only go to our minds, but it would enter our hearts. Transform us because, God, you are all about creating great people. Start with me. Start with us for your glory and for the name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. See you soon.